a mood. No, it's a mood. That's Tumblr would I'm say. I'm mood setting. I'm mood setting. If, like, if you had a mood ring on, that sigh would have just broken it. If I had a mood ring on, yeah. It would that was a very 90s reference, by the way. Yeah, did you ever have a mood ring? Of course I did. I was a Wicca. Uh, <laughs> I, was Wicca in, was that, was I had that? a quartz. Okay. I had a pentagram. I had a tarot set, which I still have. Did you throw a spell? Of course I did. Tell me a spell you threw. <laughs> like, t- tell us of a spell you Oh threw. my god, what's a spell? I threw. I wanted to be a woman, and it worked. Oh my god! Uh, no, I did not want to be a woman actually. Um, but I did throw. A sp- no, uh, what what spell did I throw? Uh, I mean, what's the least embarrassing spell I can think of right now? I mean, I did I did several like protection spells for friends. <laughs> you know, like uh, like you you would take a photo and then you would like draw a circle around them and you're like protection or whatever. You. It's exactly. Oh my god! And that's why nothing ever bad ever happens to my friends. If I were a witch, have you seen? Because it's it just came out last week. Last was it last week or two weeks ago? Uh, Good Omens. Of course. Did you already finish it? Of course. Oh my god! It's amazing. It's probably the most or one of the most successful book to TV adaptations. Yes. Because everything is in it. Everything. Everything. They left nothing out. They they left like three things out that I could mention. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was so good. And I remember reading the book. I've read the. I must have read the book like twelve times. I love that book. And my favorite character is. Agnes Nutter. Yes. Oh She's my god. She's my favorite character. And that was my only problem with this series. I wanted more. They gave her one scene and in the in the book. in the book they kind of kept going back to her. And you could because you read all her prophecies, her voice was there, you know, she had this yeah. this way of like I've only read the book once, so I I, I haven't so and I, I do want to reread it after I watch the and, series. But like her, her scenes. Oh my god, it's so good. And I, I always laughed whenever like there was a scene that they were going to burn her, and the witchfinder army finds her, and she opens the door. And she goes, "You're tardy. I should have been aflame fifteen minutes since." <laughs> that is such an epic way of being burnt. If I were a yeah. witch, I'd be that witch. You know, I'd be that like Agnes Nutter. With nice was, and totally, totally, totally. I mean, I, the casting. I loved, I loved uh, her, her answer. Well, not answer. Her descendant, Anathema. No, Anathema device. Anathema device. I love her, her, like her everything, her existence, She's but her wardrobe, everything, everything in that series. It's like, like you imagined perfect. it. It's like you imagined it. It's like, perfect. She has this. Uh, anathema. She has this cleverness and almost to the point of, oh, I'm tired of this, but I still have to do this because this is my destiny. Yes. It's so good. And she's so funny and everything is so funny. And Aziraphale and Crowley. Wait, oh my God. Just perfect. Perfect. They were just Both of them perfect. Oh my God. I was laughing. I was laughing as if I, I, I were reading the book for the first time. And it's just... like so many things. I was like, how are they going to uh, translate them? And the the flashbacks and everything because yeah. it's just six episodes but the last two episodes it's like story wise it's just like two hours I think yeah it's nothing yeah it's nothing it's like the last hour of the uh, before the end of the world but it's so good and you can see when this really touched me because I was very 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 sad when Terry Pratchett died everyone he was he he was a, a monument of a person yes. of a writer and his voice 
is so very much in Frances McDormand doing uh, God. Yeah. Like when she says the whole, there is a trick that they do with cards, and the same thing is going to happen with babies. Pay attention. Yes. In this room, this is going to... And you could hear, this is Terry Pratchett writing this, uh, with this wit, but also with this humanity. And so I'm like, yeah. oh God, it's so good. It's so good, like, I want to watch it again. Me too. It was Me just too. so fantastic. I'm giving myself, like, a couple of days, but I'm probably going to binge it again on Sunday. That was like, yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. As you say, it's uh, the best book to TV series adaptation I've been seen in a while. Yes. Everything um, is in it. And everything, you know, like, the production value, like, the wardrobe and... The how wardrobe of the horsemen. The, the horsemen, the design of the, the horsemen. The first time you see war. Yes. It's how you imagined her in the book. Totally. You get less of them. In the book, you get a bit more a bit of more, them. more, yeah. But... She she shows up with this beautiful hair and, and the lipstick and the whole thing. It's like, oh, I'm just a reporter. I'm just here yeah. to report on things. And you're like, oh, that is war. And she does the thing. And then famine and then pollution. And I Famine like, in the ref- restaurant with the, like lavender scented air. So and then and with chow. You can't legally say it's food. Um, oh my God, pollution is... They made... I love how they made them pollution. They made them a them. Yes. A non-binary thing. Because in the book, uh, he was male. Pollution. Yeah. He was yeah, yeah, yeah. A kind of, um, you know, kind of uh, androgynous, but very, very much male. I mean, they're a horseman of the apocalypse. They, no, yeah, they I mean, did this thing. They played with the gender thing. Uh, Neil Gaiman in Twitter, because uh, of course everyone's shipping uh, Arizabel and Crowley, and Crowley as yes. they want to do. But there's a lot of uh, asexual shipping uh, since they're angels. Uh, it's like they're just they're just friends and they're gonna be friends. And for... the book makes it very clear that like, they're yeah. sexless. They they just they, yes, they, totally. they have nothing to yeah. do with sex. So uh, Neil Gaiman tweeted on how like well they're angels. Whatever you like, you, whatever you want to like, what's under the clothes? It's basically irrelevant. You know they're eternal beings and they love each other. That's yeah. it. And whatever that means to you. The two eternal uh, genderless beings just love each other, whatever. The best the, phrases of the book were there. They yeah. tell them to each other and it's just, oh my God. Like, it's, when, is it, when Crowley says, you were always just enough of a, of a bastard to worth knowing. And I was like, yes. Yeah. Yes, it's so good. It's perfect. The changes that they made were spot on. Like having um, Gabriel be this kind of businessman angel. You didn't yes, get that. John Hamm. Because, uh, because in the book, he was just like the Metatron. You can yeah. only hear like like the voice. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, he, Gabriel. Yeah, he, is his... yeah. Well, all heaven. I like that heaven was just as awful as hell, just in a different way. Just as, yeah. Uh, in the exact opposite. And, I mean, we could, we, could, we could have a whole episode about Good Omens. But it's all good. Watch but, it. Watch it. Watch if you're it, listening please. To like, this. get Amazon Prime and watch it because... It is totally worth it. I was going to ask you, did you hear about the George R. R. Martin conspiracy? Is there a conspiracy? It's not a conspiracy, really. It's just his dumb ideas I, I, heard, I read on Twitter. I have not heard. That the reason why George R. R. Martin is taking so long with the last book is that he wanted to see how the TV series ended and then sort of, like, improve on that. <laughs> that would have been good. That would have been... I mean... I, I like the deviousness of the idea, like George R. R. Martin being this guy, just like, I know what I'll do. I'll just give them this. I'll, I'll basically have the world's best focus group for my ending. 
And if people don't like it, then I'll say, oh, that was never going to be my ending. I was going to do this whole other thing. <laughs> but, you know, being completely realistic, why would he decide not to make another $300 million? Like, why mm, would true. he go like, oh, no, I'm not going to publish the book. Why would I publish this book? Like, you yeah. have to. You have to publish the book. Like it's totally just, no. I was just I just I just read I it like and, I thought, and I, I thought I like the idea. You would enjoy I, the I, idea. I, I thought of that all by myself. Actually, I thought like you know what? It would Ooh, be so great. special. No, it's just like <laughs> it's like it would be so great because now there is no way that his ending could be worse. There is just no way. People are going to go, and the, of course, because he is he is taking his time in fleshing all these storylines out and just like. Um, like there's so many things going I mean, on in the books. Yeah, I, I mean, I writing, I've, just writing a short story is a monumental and task. I, yeah. So, and um, I do like to think that he's got something better planned for Cersei than Bricks. You know, it's just like, how does she die, Bricks? <laughs> that was that to me was when I lost hope because before then I was like, well, you know, Daenerys always had the potential of going batshit. She always had this thing, people talking about, oh, you know, like, uh, the, yeah. the, they flip a coin, the gods, you know, she might yeah. be, she might turn out crazy. And she was always this, uh, she was a fanatic. She was always a fanatic. Um, I did think they rushed it. Like, they could have made her fall yeah. quicker. But... As we mentioned uh, the previous episode, I believe it was... Two episodes ago. Two episodes ago. I'm good with a tragedy. I'm good with someone destroying themselves and like, oh my God, you had all this potential to be good and you're throwing it all out and it's all like... I'm fine with that. It's just that, you know... Take your time in making it happen. Let's enjoy the fall. Let's not knock her out. She's gone crazy. By the way, the fall is a great movie. You should enjoy that too. Yes. So anyway, we're 10 minutes in. So let me introduce my (laughs) co-host. Yes. (laughs) Let me introduce my co-host. If anxiety were money, he'd be rich. I would be. Instead, he's just anxious. Um, Luis Augusto. If anxiety were money, I'd have all the money I need to pay for my anxiety medication. <laughs> and that would be it. And let me introduce my co-host, Martin Leon, a man who merits no introduction. <laughs> you bitch. Well, I just, I just thought, what would Milton Berle say? Uh, well, you know. a classic, a classic of comedy. <laughs> Well, you know. Yeah, and with that, we introduce our Mexican stereotype of the day, which happens to be hot and white and expensive, (laughs) and it's not me. It's it's Cancun. It's Cancun. I like how you pronounce Cancun. 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 I don't know. Cancun. 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 Now at the Kumix Museum, Kunt Kuntz. Have you gone to the Kuntz exhibit? Fuck that. Fuck Kuntz. Fuck Kuntz. I don't like, I don't get it. Like, I get it, but I don't get it. It's just like, it's something that's like, I've, I've no interest. It's Kuntz and someone else, right? And the other guy, the Duchamp? French, Duchamp, yeah. Yeah. I do want to go to the Kuntz exhibit. I just, uh, I mean, also, it's like two blocks away from my house. So right. Something to do. You may as well go. <laughs> Everyone's just raving. It's like, oh, the visionary. I, the, the thing with, with, with artists like Kuntz and like Warhol and other, like, you know, Yayoi Kusama. Yayoi Kusama, yeah. Uh, and others, it's like, 
Um, and, and I don't mean this to be in a, in any way a dismissive way because I think you know any art exhibit you can go to is is a good thing that you go and you like read the text and everything. Uh, but a lot of people just go because it's like it's it's this person and they're telling me it's important and I should go. Oh, uh, you know what? See, now I'm shifting gears again, yeah. yes. and I'm going to defend the people who do that because I mean, in the end, why? Do we like the things that we like? It's because someone told us it's cool. Totally. Uh, no, and I'm not saying they shouldn't go. In fact, I love that people go, and thus yeah. these art exhibits can come, and more art exhibits are coming. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. That's why I didn't want it to sound like that. Um, but yeah, you are totally shifting gears. It's just. <laughs> It's just, it doesn't interest me. It doesn't interest me in the in the way that it would interest me to see an exhibit. It's not in my taste. It's not okay. in my taste. Like, I'd sooner go... So, before we go back to Cancun... Yeah. What what, what artist would you be interested see, in seeing? My favourite types of exhibits are not artist exhibits. They're more like teacups from the 19th century. <laughs> this kind of shit. This kind of shit, like, you know, this. look at this collection of, um, I don't know, like... Um, Sexy underwear from France in the turn of the century okay. brothels, like something that is not just because I find the artistic in it, but also I like the, the sociological. Yeah, the, the, like there's, there's something really cool about uh, these daily items being used to express I, something. I eat that shit up, like those things that people. So. When people write a joke about a boring exhibit and they go like, "Oh yes," like there was a joke on Friends, I believe, when uh, Ross and his girlfriend. I forget which girlfriend. They go to a doorknob exhibit. Yeah. And it's just like antique doorknobs. I was like, I would fucking go. Exactly. I would just fucking Count go. Like, me how in. have doorknobs changed? Have they changed? I, yeah. Like, I, like, I am also that kind of nerd. I eat that shit up. So I wouldn't really be called like, oh, this so, artist. This particular so bringing you back to uh, Cancun through the ages. Cancun. Have you been to Cancun? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. A couple of times. I have been as well. Just, just the one time. Okay. It's weird. It's a we weird place. Should, we should book a show in Cancun. We should book a, a show in Cancun. That, that'd be fun. Yes, I, I'd do that. I would do that. It's just, so you went to Cancun. How long? How old were you? When you went to I was very young. I was about yeah. sixteen, and I went with my mother, and I learned to scuba dive. We weren't technically in Cancun. We were like in one of those Cancun adjacent places. Yeah, uh, less crowded. But we, we we hung out in Cancun and in. Uh, well, the thing with Cancun, it, it is you know it's Mexico's Disneyland. You know, it's like the Mexican quarter in Disneyland. It's like it's Mexico, but it's curated for the American experience. For the discerning American. Uh, for a kind of American. For a definitely. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, of course, you know, you can't fault Cancun for wanting to, you know, appeal to a market that brings in a, a lot of money. Oh, God, no. No, I, I, my problem has never been with Cancun. My problem has always been with the people who go there. It's just <laughs> like, it, it, it feels to me a bit like the people, or the general audience that visits Cancun, they know that it's been laid out for them. So yes. there is a certain sense of entitlement where it's like, oh, this is all for me. This is all for me and these dollars. I've got dollars, so this is all yeah, for me. There, yeah, there's definitely that. I mean, that ha that's, yeah, that's starting to happen in other places too, like San Miguel Allende and even here in Mexico City. But yes. but yeah, there's definitely a sense of entitlement. So, also, I think that I also went to Cancun. I, have like, I went to Cancun when I was like... First I was like eight, maybe. And then I was also like 15, 16. So I think... 
you don't have you have the family vacation experience at Cancun, which is very different from Woo Cancun. I know. <clears throat> yeah, because uh, because you can't even drink. Did you ever go in a more adult fashion? Never, like not to Cancun. I've gone to other places, but no, not not to Cancun. And I'm not really interested because a because you know it is prohibitively expensive for someone who does not earn money. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say dollars, but right right now I'm unemployed, so still money. I could even go to to Manzanillo. You can't even go to Kuntz. You can't. I couldn't go one of the, you know, the public beaches you have in Mexico City every summer. So, yeah, uh, I haven't. Uh, and are you interested in going, like, experience Well, Cancun? the thing is, I just don't like people. And Cancun is, <laughs> Cancun is full of full of that. Do you like the ocean? Do you like swimming I in the ocean? I do love the ocean. And I think that that area of Mexico it is beautiful. the most beautiful ocean I've ever seen, and I've seen some beautiful oceans. I've seen, I've seen the sea in Australia, beautiful, and some parts of California, again, beautiful ocean, and Europe, the Med- the Mediterranean. Like I've seen, I've I've been privileged enough to see the sea, and it, it is from many places. And Cancun is just it just blows my mind. It's like what they told you the ocean was like when you were little it's the idea it's like the idea of the ocean you get from a like storybook yeah if you ask a five year old draw the sea draw a sunset in the sea that's what they draw exactly it's just beautiful I see why so many people have ravaged the area yeah that's that's kind of sad thing because a friend of mine went to Holbox recently which is not that close actually but but it is close and I shouldn't even be mentioning it because tourists are going a lot, but they mentioned you know it's like the beauty you know like the clear waters and at, at night um, they they have like the um, the bioluminescent plankton yeah so it's like it very 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 beautiful so you have like the the sky above like just filled with stars because there's no light pollution and then you have like the plankton and the ocean it's just beautiful 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 and it is kind of sad right that something is so beautiful but the more people experience it and the more it gets um designed for a lot of people to experience it the less beautiful it becomes at a worrying pace because it's so pure and so pristine that so many people crave it and they ruin it but you know what if it happened to my virginity why shouldn't it happen to an island? Like um, I'm like enjoy. I wouldn't call my virginity pure or pristine. It was ever, beautiful. Mine was beautiful. <laughs> Mine was beautiful, and it was ravaged. It was like a flower by a tourist, as a matter of fact. <laughs> as it as it turns out, like it's just yeah by by these assholes, and they just go like, oh, this is a beautiful it, thing. Is it now streamlined for the for, to be experienced by way more tourists? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's just free entry, no visa, just like yeah. That's how it was. Uh, So yeah, that is our Mexican stereotype of the of the day. Cancun. Cancun. If you have like, if you if you if you have like a place there for us to do a show. Anyway, so yeah, that was the Mexican stereotype of the day, and now we on to the meat of the episode. Today we are talking about. uh, Martin has chosen our topic. I I have two questions. Yes. Two two topics to talk about, really. And I want to go back to... Because we talked about Game of Thrones. And then we talked about fanfic. Uh, and now we're going to talk about more something more stand-up comedy adjacent. Um, so my first question for today is... What is your favorite comedy special? 
favorite comedy special and yeah it's a it's a big question of course because i mean i mean i mean the one you want to talk about now because of course it's like you're yes. always you'll like i have the comedy special for like when i'm sad this is my pick me up yeah this is my comedy special like the like when someone i know doesn't really watch stand-up they're like this is my introductory uh comedy special uh which by the way it's baby cobra That is so like Baby Cobra. I thought so much about, but but I've already talked about Baby Cobra um, on this very podcast. And you might think I wouldn't want to talk about it again, but I, I definitely would. I, like I wouldn't care if if I had to bore you with it two don't more hours. Bore me? But I'm, no, you, not you. The people listening. The two people they're, listening. They're here. Yeah. Um. I have chosen Nanette by Nanette. Hannah Gadsby. <laughs> Not just because she's the only stand-up comic, well, one of two stand-up comics of whom I can do an impression. Yeah, you know. Which is the other way. Where, where, where do the quiet gays go? Like, uh, Speaking of teacups. Where? The sound of a teacup finding its place on a saucer. <laughs> just, yeah, I love her. Love you, Hannah Gadsby. Take me. I want to have, I want to see a TV series in, like, it's, You know, like baskets with, yeah. uh, but instead of uh, Saga Lafinakis and I forget the name of the comedian, that's her friend, you and Hannah Gatsby. Oh my god. Like, I imagine the, 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 sh the show being like you and Hannah Gatsby having to travel through Australia for something. Oh my god. <laughs> It would be so good. Like, Hannah Gatsby doesn't know this, but we're best friends. Like, we're meant to be best friends. I'm meant to be there for her. Like, I just, Like, and when I saw her in this wonderful TV series called Please Like Me. Yes. <laughs> beautiful. Probably right now my favorite gay-themed TV series because it's, oh my God, so fucking honest. It's just like, ah, honesty. In your face, <laughs> smell it. Smell the honesty. And Hannah Gatsby appears in it. And when she shows up, I'm like, oh my God, it's Hannah Gatsby. Like, I love her. And I'm going to talk about Nanette. Talk about it. Because Nanette... And everyone in Mexico was talking about it at some point. Everyone everywhere. There's actually everywhere, a TED yeah. Talk that I haven't seen in which Hannah Gatsby talks about Nanette. But anyway, so I'm, I keep on interrupting. I'm no, not... it's fine. This is the point. This is the point of the podcast. Um, I've chosen Nanette, first of all, because we're talking about a comedian who is very, very accomplished and very, very... Um, who I would like to be as a comedian in the sense of she's got a pen, she's got a voice and it's so unapologetic and she's so... But then there is the deconstruction. She manages a deconstruction of the genre that I hadn't seen done quite as successfully up until that point. And when, when I was watching it, I it starts, up, starts out... Very intentionally, quite standard. And by standard, yes. I don't mean it's boring, or I don't mean it's... No, like, it, it starts like any other... It's stand-up. She does her thing, well, you know, this is me, this is how I look, I'm making jokes about how I look, I'm making jokes about how people think I am, making jokes about my mother, she's a queer comedian, and she's a lesbian, so she talks about what it's like to be queer, what it's like to be gay, what it's like to grow up gay, you know, her mother, what she said, her mother... It, She touches all the the bases, basically. She ticks all the boxes, which is fantastic. And she's so funny when she does it. And her delivery is wonderful. She's a low-energy comedian. She's very much a low-energy comedian. She Her energy rarely reaches beyond a five, if we said, you know, like... I mean... <laughs> 
One of my one of this my is the part where, he, where she yells at the audience, but I'm talking about the first bit. Yes. The first bit, yeah, she is very. She's, she's very. She's one of these comedians that they are. They are less monotone than they look. They look very monotone, but once you like explore each joke, you see the, the highs and the lows. There's an undercurrent. There's yeah. definitely an undercurrent, but in the end. There is this, you know, she keeps it very contained and very restrained. It's funny. She, she, it's political from the beginning. She's not like, she's not, but she's definitely luring you into this false sense of security that this is going to be a standard show. And she starts, you know, with this wonderful thing like, I was going to this show and then my show, Nanette. Mm -hmm. Because at the time when I started writing the show, I was seeing a girl called Nanette. And it turns, and I, I, I met her and I said, she's, she's such an interesting person. Nanette, she's so interesting. But, and then I realized I couldn't write a show about her. She wasn't that interesting in the end. Yeah. And it's so funny and so human. And then she drops a bomb because she, she talk, I love comedians who talk about the nature of comedy. Yes. I love comedians who talk about how comedy works. It's the teacher in me. I find teaching in itself to be a very artistic or potentially artistic thing. When you do some good teaching, there is definitely a performative aspect to it. Yes. There is definitely a dealing with the audience's expectations and subverting them. Or yeah, actually, several teachers. Well, I know several people who went to a stand-up comedy course in order to become better teachers. Because there is a big part of that. There is a big part of um, entertaining your audience when you're teaching. So she starts with, and her first, um, I know, the first foreshadowing that something's going to happen is when she says, um, she, she breaks and she says, I'm not going to do comedy anymore. Yes. Because a joke has two parts. There is a setup and there is a punchline. And she tells you a joke. She, she just told you a joke. She told you a joke about her uh, when uh, she ran into a man and his girlfriend. And she mm -hmm. was hitting on his girlfriend. And the guy walks up and was like, oh, fuck you. The guy was apparently very violent to her. And then the girlfriend goes, no, 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 it's a woman. It's a woman. And uh, the guy stops. Yeah. And she says that joke. The guy stops. Uh, he doesn't beat her up because she's a woman. And she says, that's a joke. Set up punchline the setup builds tension tension the punchline releases tension and she's explaining this thing and then she goes i can't do this anymore and then she goes into this wonderful explanation of self-deprecating humor and how the idea that i'm not going to do that anymore i'm not going to present myself as this weird uh strawman that you can just make fun of I'm not going to make myself ridiculous so that you can feel okay yeah. laughing at me. And she also talks about how doing that, um, I mean, it's, it's a, some, you, you start doing it and then it just becomes second nature. Yes. I, I like how she says, uh, it's in another part of the, of the special, which says like, the part of the story you focus on is the part of the story that you learn from. And in comedy, what they say is like a story has three parts. It has uh, the beginning, the middle, the end. Yes. And jokes always end in the middle, um, which is, yeah. You don't get to learn from the joke exactly. in the way that you learn from a story. Yes. And then she revisits the, the, the same anecdote. Yes. And she says, and what happened was, after this guy thought I was a woman. Well, knew. knew, knew. So <laughs> after this guy learned I was a woman he realized that I was a gay woman mm -hmm. and he came back 
And he beat, beat the shit out of her. And he realized that he, she was, in fact, someone that could... She was like, it's, it's okay to hit you. Exactly. Uh, and, and she didn't tell that part of the story because that wasn't funny anymore. I mean, a couple of homophobes would think it was still funny. It was, yeah. But she does it in such a beautiful... And then she breaks up... She, she stops telling jokes. She just stops telling jokes and starts talking about men and women and how we treat men and women. And there's this thing that... And a lot of my friends are having kids now. And every time they talk about their kids and he's a boy, he's a, she's a girl and so on and so forth. There's this thing that, that Hannah Gadsby says when she says, how about we just, spend, we just let them spend the first 10 years of their lives thinking that they're both on the same side? Yes. And that floored me. And I, I was, I was, obviously I was weeping openly, weeping openly. And I remember my boyfriend arrived after I'd seen it and I was still weeping. And he was like, well, well, I thought you were going to watch comedy. I was like, I was, I was watching comedy. One of, one of my, my favorite thing, well, uh, I, when, because it came out be like a little bit before Pride last year. Yes. Uh, and I, so I went to Pride and Adriana Chavez who's a lesbian comedian who's basically the Mexican Hannah Gatsby yeah. um, she she recommended this special to me like you have to watch Hannah, uh, Nanette by Hannah Gatsby it's great I cried twice and I'm like that's the best recommendation for a special they could, they could give me um, I couldn't stop crying I just couldn't stop amazing. crying because when she says these things these Memories just came flooding back of every time I, as a queer person, had been like, oh no, girls are different than you. You shouldn't be like them. You should, you should be like the boys. This is the way. And it's just, she was, she conveyed so much the, 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 the claustrophobia. Of, yes. of this, these of gender expectations. Of gender expectations. Yeah. And she stopped saying comedy. She stops comedy. She stops it and she goes into this amazing... I don't even know what to call it. I don't want to call it anything because I'm probably going to be wrong. I mean, that's the thing. Like, a lot of people, when we're discussing this, this special, the question they told me is, like, is it stand-up? And I... And we were kind of talking about this before starting. Like, I think the reason why a lot of people were having a crisis of saying, this isn't stand-up, or, like, please tell me this isn't stand-up, it's because if this is stand-up, then you can hold yourself to a way higher standard than you do right now. And it's like, yeah. And I was always like, yeah, it is stand-up. It's not a stand-up. You, you, have, you, you, don't have, like, you don't have to do this. In fact, like, you've been doing stand-up for two years. You can't do this. Um, yeah, it is stand-up. And I was actually really mad at this special for a while uh, because I stopped doing some of the things Hannah Gatsby does in this special because I was told a lot of times this isn't stand-up and I bought it. And, and so I just stopped uh, wanting to make the audience com uncomfortable at times. And I just, you know, it was always this thing like, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this. And yeah. seeing someone be so brave and have and do it successfully, I was like, I was like, it's great. It was like, finally, someone just like says, fuck you to this isn't stand up and just says, well, like, whatever it is, I am going to do it and I'm going to say it because it's more important for me to say this than for me to have you comfortably believe that you're okay that's and that you're yeah. correct. That's absolutely right. And she she does it in this way that she just stops doing comedy and she doesn't and she tells you I'm, I'm not going to do comedy anymore. I'm done with this. 
And it's not necessarily the fact that she's not doing comedy anymore, because she is, but rather the fact that she doesn't want to, to meet anyone's expectations anymore. Yes. So when people, and people kept saying like, is it stand-up, is it not stand-up? My, my reply was, who gives a fuck? Yeah. It is great. It is greatness. You're watching someone do something amazing, beautifully written, spectacularly delivered, flawlessly just put together into this thing that works and it stands on its own and it's just amazing. And I, I can't stop singing the praises of Nanette because I just love it so much. And then my favorite, my favorite moment of it all was when she even breaks her own premise of I'm not going to do comedy anymore because you know what she's talking about the gender inequality and and the you know the the, the abuse that women go through is just so powerful and then she goes and to the men in the audience she says and to the men in the audience roll your fucking socks up there that's the last one fashion advice from a lesbian and it was so powerful I started laughing and I was still yeah. crying and it was just like oh, no, I'm feeling too much I was feeling too much it is I needed to calm down like when I stopped when it, when it was over I just stopped because first of all she starts from this place that I really relate to which is which is why she has to be my best friend even if she doesn't know it because we're going to get went, a restraining order I from Australia. Through, uh, that was going to be the first piece of mail. No, for such, this. no such thing as restraining orders in Australia. <laughs> they don't exist. Okay. It's like, oh, <laughs> I like, I like, it sounded more like a threat. <laughs> yeah. No. So anyway, so you... Uh, no, it's just, she starts with this thing of, I want to be gay. I just don't want to be gay in the way that many people around me want to be gay. And to this day, I feel that way. To this day, I'm like, oh yeah, let's go to a party. Let's go to... And I'm like... I don't want to. I don't want to be gay this way. There has to be another way. I mean, there is. I am another way. Yeah. So many of us are different ways of being gay. But I mean, I think that's the kind of thing, like... Um, and we've talked about this before in the, in the podcast, but... Um, I hate that the, you know, the, the, the rainbow banner and, you know, wanting to be this thing like we are diverse... Uh, a lot of people cannot appreciate diversity within our own community. I know. Um, and I also like, I, that's why I love, love her joke of my favorite sound is the sound of a, of a teacup uh, finding its place in, in a platter. Because, yeah, it, it, I mean, I've always wondered, like, how do you, I mean, you can't really, you know, like, express diversity easily because diversity is just infinite. You know, like, there's as many ways to be gay as there are ways to be. Uh, as there are people that are gay. Yeah. Um, and so I love that she started with that because she's also saying like, this isn't, again, this isn't about me, the gay woman against, like even within the group you want to push me into, I am an outsider exactly. in a way. So no, you, I, I, I am, I am this, she, she, she's, when she says like, like you, like was low on lesbian content. Like, well, I was here the whole time. Oh, there's <laughs> like, not like, enough lesbian content. <laughs> like, I've been on stage the whole time. So, uh, before we, we oh, move, so. uh, one. I'm sorry. Yes. No, it's, it's just the very first joke I wrote as a comedian when I was doing my comedy course, and I didn't even know where to start. My teacher, she said, "Write about something you constantly trip over." 
Like this obstacle, you just can't seem to... And my first joke was, and to, I, I've changed it a lot since then because it, it used to be a lot more commonplace, but I still tell it as by way of an introduction of myself because um, I do say, like, and, and people, whenever I didn't tell it, people would come to me and say, you have to mention you're gay because otherwise they're going to be wondering the whole time and if they're wondering, they're distracted and it's yeah. just this... Stu- it's, a no- it's stupid, I hate it. It's yeah. a stupid thing, but it's this thing that, you know, you have to do or people say you have to do. Now I do it in a different way because I do it with the acknowledging the fact I do it by saying you know I'm, I'm just telling you gay because sometimes people spend the entire show wondering is he gay or is he just a hipster from around this place and I start with that and they laugh at that because it could be either way and then I, I get rid of it but the first joke I wrote was that it was just it's so hard to come out and say oh the gays will include me look their flag is a rainbow like, they have to, because a rainbow has every colour. I am a colour. Surely I fit somewhere in that flag. Surely there is a colour for me, one of those six colours. I can fit in between two of them, maybe, or three of them. And then you realise that you don't. That even a flag meant to represent diversity and variety and all these different ways we have of being will... A society would embrace it and they'll go, yeah, but you're not enough. You have to care more about this. You have to care less about this. Um, and when I tell people, like, oh, just, God, I've never had, like, I've never had sex with a friend, for example. I used to, I, I said this with a I mean, gay group. Of, straight people also. Yeah, but, like. raised an eyebrow at that. <laughs> yeah, but, like, for example, I said this once at a, with a gay group of friends that I kind of, mm-hmm. I wasn't really part of them, but I was frequenting them for a while and they were like really like you haven't done this and how about this have you had a threesome or have you had this and I was like no I, I'm, I'm I'm scared I'm scared of having a threesome I'm genuinely terrified at the thought of of three people in one room of, of, <laughs> at, at, the, at the thought of three people in one room like, it counts as a crowd now I don't <laughs> like crowds no it's just the thought of considering the feelings of more than one other person that like considering the feelings of one person is terrifying for me now like I'm always like what's he what's he feeling is he is he okay now two it just I'd rather die if those are my choices dying or having a threesome I'll choose death because it's just and this is so against the spirit of Free sex thing living. I mean, and I say as someone who also is, uh, is, you know, for what, like, I have my my gay circle friends, it's very sexual, sex positive and very sex active. Yeah. And I'm, I try, like to think I'm sex positive, but the sex active part, eh, not so much. Yeah. Um, so for me, like, the times we've talked about it, like, for me, yeah, a while I was kind of like, to the point where I was like, maybe I'm, I'm asexual. I'm not. Um, but you start considering that because you feel excluded. Like you start. Considering- so that's the thing. I never felt because ex- I was I was I was there. I never felt excluded. What I felt was that there was that there was something like the wiring hand has gone wrong, and I felt it with my because the whole society. And this is why I totally believe. Uh, not believe because I I understand. When a sexual say that they do face discrimination, it's like the whole society is built around you should be wanting to have more sex all yes. the time, yeah. and it's like if you this thing like I'd rather I mean 
I depends on the people. I would I would want to have a threesome. Uh, but this idea of like, do you want to go have sex with a stranger or do you want to watch Good Omens? I want to watch Good Omens. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to get on Grinder? Oh my god, no! Do you want to get on Grinder and hook up with someone, anyone, or would you rather play uh, a video game? I would rather play a video game. That's it. And I, it shouldn't be such a statement just yeah. to say that. Like it's like. You know. And that's why we like the story of the outcast. We like the story of the outcast because we project every time... We, because everyone has been an outcast at some point, And we project that into them. So Hannah Gatsby, she's like the ultimate outcast. And she is happy. She's content being the person she is. She's like... She's, also, she's unapologetic yeah. about what she is. Because my favorite part of that special is... Like, speaking of happy, which is a, another special I'm not going to talk about now. Uh, maybe. maybe uh, the, the part with Van Gogh. Oh, my God. I, which just, is... Uh... You know, when people tell me, like, you can't talk about blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Hannah Gatsby spent a whole half an hour speaking, talking about art history. So shut up. The I can't, you can't talk about that because people are not going to get it. You can explain so it and powerful. you don't fit. But Van Gogh, when people, you know, this idea, because I love this idea, because a lot of Mexican comedians have, and comedians in general have this idea that you need to suffer for your art. Like, if you are a depressive yeah. person, you need to depress yourself to the point where you're like a, a liability to yourself and others. In order to make someone laugh for five minutes, like no, and how she brings it back to Van Gogh and how and his brother exactly, and how Van Gogh's brother caring for him actually made the sunflowers happen. Uh, well, maybe uh, theory, uh, but this idea. But it, I'll buy it. Yeah, no, I'll buy it. But, yeah, but, but the message is it's more important to be cared for than to make people just strange people in a room laugh. Yes. You know, like. You, you know, this the entitlement of an audience, which, you know, coming back, you know, riding on the coattails of, you know, the Game of Thrones finale and stuff like that, you know, the, the entitlement of audience of saying, you need to suffer for me to... For greatness to happen. For me to laugh at a dick joke. Yeah. Not even greatness. It's yeah. like, it's like no, no, fuck yeah. you. And so, for me, that's my favorite part of that special. I mean, I love the whole of it, and I can watch whole, it. It's just... I can't watch it like every day because I, I do need to not cry. But uh, <laughs> but but that part with Van Gogh and the brother and and just like breaking down the stereotype of I need suffering for your art like I need to be a depressive comedian to be a better comedian. Yeah, you know, no, I need to be the better the better the better person for myself. And maybe being depressed will make make one joke, you know, one. There's this uh, Aparna, I forget her last name, Aparna, um, she's a great comedian, but she says, like, uh, any pizza is a personal pizza if you cry while you're eating it. <laughs> That's so good. It's a lovely joke. But she, like, in her, in, in, and, and she actually has, like, several uh, interviews talking about depression, but, like, her better material isn't just about uh, being depressed. It's about, you know, dealing with it. And this, that's why, that's why, that's my favorite part of the special. I like, I love the whole of it. And I think that anyone and everyone should watch it. Uh, and if you don't like it, I don't care. Watch it. Is it stand up? Who the keep, who gives who a Who gives fuck? a fuck? It's art. And it's beautiful. I think as stand comics, we should be happier at the fact that stand up can be art. That, because a lot of people will not consider it art. A lot of people, a lot of people wouldn't consider comedy no, in general. Yeah, comedy, like is no a low, art. comedy is a low art. And, yeah. you know, meh. 
whatever. I, yeah. I, 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 I don't like the, the label art and artist, whatever, because in the end, it's, you know, like, why are you trying to tell me, like, this is art, cool, you know, like, whatever. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think there is a, a value in the net of saying, like, okay, I've seen a person successfully do this with comedy. And you can say, you can take something from it and you can say, you know what, that's not my cup of tea. Yeah. That's what I want to do is the parade. What I want to do is something completely different. And and that's fine. That's the other thing, you know, speaking of diversity, that's the other thing with comedians. I, I feel that this idea of the right way to do stand-up kind of wants you to say that there's this one pinnacle yeah. of doing stand-up, which every, all of us should be going towards to, which is ridiculous. Like, all of us, you know, have our best comedian inside of us, and it's a different comedian for each oh, one of us. Some of us have a good comedian. I mean, some people have reached their best comedian. It's not a very <laughs> good comedian. Uh, <laughs> we have a... It's the cops. It's the cops. They're, they're here. It's the stand-up police. It's the comedy police. police. It's the stand-up police saying, no, you may not call this stand-up. So thank you, Hannah Gadsby. Wherever you are, you changed me. You moved me. You continue to move me. You're an inspiration. If I'm ever a quarter of the comedian that you are, I'll consider myself an absolute unqualified success as, at comedy. Now mm. on to Martin Deon, your favorite comedy special. Please tell us. Um... I was, uh, Nanette's top, on the top right there too, but for this, for the, like right now, I'm gonna say What by Bo Burnham. Okay. Um, also, is that stand up? Is it even? Fuck. Yeah. Uh, I was actually, re uh, listening to an interview he did for another podcast called Good One, uh, or Good Ones, I forget. Uh, they talk about how some jokes came to being. Um, and he was saying, like, in his special, like, he did the recording with the audience, but there were, like, if you see the special, I mean, this is something I realized when I, once I rewatched it, there are several, uh, shots that could not be done with an audience in place. So there are parts in the special that are shot without the audience. Without, yeah. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, you can tell watching it. Like, this is yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you, you and I, I mean, this is gonna sound, uh, uh you know, like, but... A lot of people just kind of give take for granted that the audience is there. Yeah. And when you tell them... This is the thing. When you tell them, like, well, for parts of the special, the audience wasn't there. They just ran it and recorded it because yeah. they wanted certain shots that like, couldn't be taken with the audience there. And they're like, but that's, like, cheating. And I'm like, well, why Why is it cheating? In fact, from the get-go, uh, Bob Bornham uh, chooses to not... Uh, like the audience or have close-ups to people laughing in the audience because he's saying like well why do I need to remind the people watching this that this is look a people are laughing exactly yeah. like maybe you are at home aren't laughing well it's it's a convention that we've fallen it, into it is exactly but some comedians and, definitely use it to great effect and, so, and it's also like I get it that as far as you know um visually it's more entertaining to cut to audience like you, because otherwise you're just watching one person on stage yeah. i mean bo burnham makes a show and he ne and he never recorded this as um, like only audio because this was a show that was meant to be seen with the lights and the uh, it, it's a show that's made it's more of a one man show stand up comedy special uh because the visually it's uh diverse uh just in how it's made and how it's lit how the lights play, the colors, and everything. And again, we have someone dealing with oppression on, with, on stage. 
in a um, very non-conventional way, using music, using like all these. Yeah. yeah, I mean the thing with Bob Burnham and, and this is the thing because Bob Burnham started on the on the on the on the YouTubes, and he became really successful really quickly with his uh, with comedy and. Uh, he he had a tweet uh, some years ago where he's like, uh, I I I went into comedy thinking that I would be successful and have a lot of money and a lot of girls, and I did. <laughs> it's like, um, which isn't at all the norm. But this. So it, why is what great? What the ending? I mean, all of it is great. All of it. Bill Bornham is a fantastic comedy writer. Uh, he's a fantastic comedy songwriter. He is someone that understands how comedy is made and how, how comedy works. And he wants to do a statement. And with what? The the end with the song, uh, can, I t- can I Tell My Shit? Which starts being a parody of Kanye. And he's like, you know, uh, rants, out-of-tune rants. And... Um, and he even acknowledges, like, is it kosher for me, a white dude, to be making fun of black of black man? And he's like, well, yeah, because I'm making fun of the of a, a certain ego he gets because of his money, not because of of his race. Um, and he starts uh, saying, you know, they start saying that thing where uh, he has a lot of problems. Mainly, his ninety nine dollar t shirts weren't weren't selling. You know, so <laughs> it's just. He starts going like that, and then he starts making fun of this idea, and he's saying, my problem is that my my hand doesn't fit inside a Pringle can, and that, bur- you know, a burrito, if it gets too big, you can't wrap it. Like, I, have, I love that line. He's like, uh, he should have, like, tells the burrito guy in Chipotle, like, you shouldn't, you like, uh, you should have told me that it, was, it wasn't going to fit everything inside the burrito. Because you know, like, uh, like I will do anything, but I will fuck my dad before I eat a burrito with a fork. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just drops, you know, brings it down, and he's he just tells the audience, "My problem is you. My problem is I want to please you. My problem is I want I want you to like me. My problem is that everything I do, and I know this as a comedy writer, like you know, especially as a comedy writer who performs live, is that." I'm not just thinking, does this joke work? Is will this make people laugh? And by extension, will this make people like me? Exactly. That's what I, I was, I was uh, talking to um, uh, to another comedian who does pre-written jokes. We call them here in Mexico, cuenta chistes. Uh, they do just jokes, just... Uh, standards. They yeah, do the standards. The, the comedy staples. Uh, and you have five... Oh, look, it's... Uh, Someone else. Someone else in the street selling something. So anyway, um, I paused just for that musical effect. This, <laughs> this bird is native to Mexico City. <laughs> the male is waiting for the female who shall not arrive because I... she's been eaten by hungry <laughs> predators. The winter will be long and she has to save her food for her Duckling. <laughs> you should do that comedy. This was my this was my David Attenborough. So, um I was talking to this guy who does you know, like sort of pre made jokes and he's also a theater writer. So I've told him, Have you ever performed your own comedy material? And he said, Yes. And I'm like, Well then you know that if you tell a joke, like any joke, and people don't laugh, it's fine, like, okay, sure, they didn't laugh, but I haven't you know, whatever. But when it's your own joke, 
that shit is personal. Oh yeah. That is an that it just renders takes your ego and says like, were you using this? Especially no. when it's a really personal <sighs> joke. Like really totally, totally, totally. So for for me, just the ending and and I could just spend an hour talking about that that one song, but it you know he 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 comes up because he's mocking like a lot of um, staples of of the genre, you know like. And not only the comedy genre, but also, you know, making fun of, you know, before that he talked about, the last song in his last special was Repeat Stuff, uh, which was just like in, in music, the only thing you like, you repeat stuff, repeat stuff. Then in this one, uh, I think, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm getting what and the previous one, which is um, Happy, Confused. Um But the, I'm kind of getting them confused in my head as well. But yeah. you know, don't but, worry, confusion is what we do. Uh, but he has a song about, about how 13-year-old, you know, how these people make make bands for 13-year-old girls for them and just basically to milk the attention and milk their parents' money and, and how, you know, he's, you know, he's going into this thing like, uh, you know, like... You know, very truthfully saying, like, well, these things are crafted from the get-go to be vampire, soul-sucking vampires of teenage uh, wants and teenage... Attention uh, and exactly. obsession. And yeah. then he ends it and he's like saying, well, yeah, but this is also my what the thing I have to do in a way. You know, like, this is, you know, this is, this is showbiz, kid. Yeah. Um, so when he comes back and tells the audience, my problem is you, and he just starts telling them, you know, like... Uh, I am. What's the phrase? Uh, like, like I feel bad because you just you only want like a, a nice night out, uh, and you came like let's go see the let's go see uh, the kid with the declining mental health try to give us what he cannot give himself, oh. and it's funny and it's hard. Breaking, you know, like, and when, when, and I am not at all because also if I were w like one fraction of the comedian Bo Burnham is, um, and he's just like he did eighth grade, like he's, a, you know, he's writer director, uh, musician, he's the whole, he's he's, he's more than a whole, whole package. package. Uh, he's two whole packages. He's two whole packages. Um, but he, just. Seeing someone again have the bravery of ending the show because both have this yeah. thing. It's like I you came for a thing and I gave it to you, but I'm not gonna let you leave with just that. I'm giving you something else. Especially nowadays where everyone can you know, you have you you have an audience on the on your phone and you can try to build yourself an audience from any point in the globe, it's like It's cool and it's it's nice that we can all give our point of view, but also how are we reacting to everyone else giving their point of view? You know, so and then I was starting. I started to write a show and I wanted uh, to name the new show. I hope this makes you happy, and I like the phrase. And then I realized that uh, Bob Bornham ends what and ends that song with "Thank you, good night. I hope you're happy." End of show. Oh. Uh, he beat you to it. Yeah, you, I mean, I could, I could take it and be like, I was inspired by. Yeah, uh, this is an homage. This is an homage, but I think that's also the thing in the end with comedy, and I hate that. It, I hate that it, it's seen as a low art. Uh, nothing against tragedy, especially after the Game of Thrones episode. <laughs> uh, but in the end, 
the amazing thing about comedy is just like I want to make you happy. Like I want to, you, I want you to have a good time. But here's the thing about comedy: is just it was never meant to make people happy. Not classically. I mean, it wasn't meant to. Yeah, but who's listening to the classics? Well, who cares about the classics? Everyone does. Theater majors. No, that's the whole thing. <laughs> the, whole, the whole point is no, precisely that. that. He's talking yeah. about the pain in comedy. That comedy requires pain to work. You, you cannot have comedy without pain. Totally. That's just impossible. So it's not about making people happy in the sense of, you know, cooking them a meal will make them happy. Cooking someone a meal is something that you do to make someone happy. And uh, giving someone a back rub is someone something you do to make someone happy. But comedy is a play of, you could be me, you're not me, let's laugh at me. Or, or, or if you're a playwright, you're like, let's laugh at these characters because you're not them, but you could be them. Maybe you have been them. But there, there but, has but to be... But we come back to the, that uh, kernel of truth that's supposed to be in comedy. Right? Yes. Because um, I don't think the comedy is also, you know, in any way it's made to make you feel bad. Uh, no. I, I I do think that... Good comedy, at least. Good comedy. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, there's also, there's also secondhand embarrassment. I'm pretty sure there are some comics here in Mexico who genuinely wake up one day and is like, I'm going to make Luis Augusto miserable for five <laughs> minutes. I'm just going to make him mad. I'm just going to make him mad. And then, then I am... With my usual Diet Coke, just outside the bar, listening to the guy who I have to go after. And it's like, oh God, oh no. Part of, part, of the series, oh. part of the series with Anna Gatsby is you, going to, you and her going to open mics and just watching comedians. There won't be any dialogue, just you and her reacting oh, to comedians. It's just, oh yes. And, no. also gonna, and also have an idea for you, like Luis Augusto at the open mic. This time, it's personal. <laughs> I was at a show, like, to... I'm not even going to say when I when it was, but I was at a show a non-definite amount of time before this, and the guy slash girl who went um, before me, it was so terrible. It was so terrible. And I was, like, having a mental breakdown. Like, how am I supposed to follow this? It was just so, just like, ah, uh, no, why? There's nothing going on. And someone... Someone was coming after me, who I really, this was a comedian I really cared for. And I was like, I have to leave this audience, like, alive. And they were dying. And I was like, no. And I was hyperventilating. And this is so terrible. So, yes, comedy is meant to cause pain sometimes. I'm sure I mean, that I, it is. Yeah, no. Uh, well, let's, coming back to what by, by Bob Burnham and specifically <laughs> that song. The thing, the thing, um, I love that and that and this is why I feel that I'm not yet reached a comedy stand up special level. It's about being it being a crafted experience. It's about you not just going on stage and be, be funny for an hour. Not that that's funny. Yeah. I mean none of that's easy. Um but but the great comedy specials and you know I we, we, we chose two, but you, we could mention several more. They are these crafted experiences that are, are worked on for a long while. It's just, you know, like show after show after show of, of never saying this is the best. Like you, you see it in, in Funny People with... Uh, talking, talking Funny, I'm sorry, with uh, Chris Rock and Gervais and... 
Louisa Kay and, and Jerry Seinfeld, and Jerry Seinfeld yeah. in which you realize that you know it's not that the 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 comedy special it's this is you know this is perfect but rather this is you know this is the best I could do yeah. with this material and exactly. I'm kind of have to write because <clears throat> yeah. stand up being such such a lonesome art you can always be improving the material at oh some point God, you just want to be like okay this is this is what it is I'm going to move forward because otherwise I'm going to go crazy with this five minutes worth of comedy um, and the, especially these two specials they have their they're crafted to the second, you know? It's like this, I need this much silence, I need the lights to come down in this aspect. Uh, you know, and you have two very different ways to do it because, like, Nanette's just her microphone. She doesn't, she doesn't even grab the microphone. The, the microphone is on the stand the whole yeah. time. And then you have Bob Barnham who, like, choreographed the lights so things would happen in a very specific way and very specific moments. And... And the comedy special also incorporates elements like editing, because comedy specials are edited. Yeah, of course. They're supposed to be. Like, when people say, oh, no, but that's, that's cheating, because they, they record the comedy special for four nights, and then they chose the best bits. Yes, that's what a comedy special is. It's a best of. Yes. If you want to see the imperfect parts of it, go see the live show. And then that's what you, you get some comedians who, and I have a lot of them, uh, like, I have this list of comedians who... You should see them live. You should not see their special. Because some... And the other yeah, way around. Although, like, uh, Chris Rock did a special some years ago in which he made it obvious by wearing different suits. Yeah. So as the special was going, you go to one suit and then the other and then the other and the other. And I love that because he just said, like, yes, this is my best off. And I'm not yeah. going to... And, 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 and that's why you're watching that's what you're okay. watching. Yeah. That is okay. Um... I mean, also, I, I could have also spent an hour talking about Patton Oswalt's annihilation. Oh, 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 it. I thought about choosing yeah, oh my God. Patton Oswalt. There's so, many, there's so very many good specials out there. But, uh, I, again, I, I like that we chose two specials that were they're very crafted. Yes. I'm, I'm being... They're I'm, very meta. They're very uh, incendiary in their own ways. Yeah. And they I, talk I, about mental health. Both of them raised the bar for comedy oh as the whole. Both of them were about saying, you know, as comedians, we just going on stage and doing our five or ten or hour, that's good. You know, we charge for that and we do our best. But when it comes to the quote unquote limits of comedy, yeah. uh, we can push them further. Absolutely. And we can blur the lines with other arts that people say. They, they are higher because people think that crying at something is in some way purer than laughing at it. Um, I remember just finishing Nanette and saying, like, I'm never going to be this good. But I fucking want to try so much. I want to try just to, like, oh, just I, tiny, like, oh. I, 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 this happened to me when I watched uh, Eddie Izzard worshipping his, uh, his new special on, in, in Dallas. Uh, Wunderbar, it's called. I saw it uh, uh, Christmas last year. Um, and it's like, I love, it's this double-edged sword with watching great comedians, because on the one hand, it's like, I love every single second, and then you come out and you just... You just destroyed on the floor, going. I'm never gonna what be can that I do good. This? But then it it needs to inspire you. That's the thing. That's I think the difference between the comedians who are just doing it for the glory of it, like to feel accomplished, like oh look, I did this thing, and you know, seeing a master 
doing their craft and saying like, I, I want to fucking try. Yeah. I'm going to get up there. I'm going to try to write something. And for example, right now, I'm writing this thing. I, I showed you a draft of this about a month and a half ago about my uh, my father's illness. I'm trying to write about my father's illness. And it's so fucking difficult. But I have so many funny things to say. But it's so painful. And it's so like, am I ever, is it ever going to come? I don't even know if I will ever be able to tell this. Yeah. But yeah, or how long it would take for yeah, you. Yeah, I don't know how long it will take for me to make it worth. And, and I haven't even put it on, a, on an open mic yet. Because when I, I don't want to try this. Yeah, this is a joke that But I want. That's to... also why you are, you are the clever comedian you are because you know when a joke is ready to be tested on the audience. It's like it's like when you're we talk about cooking. It's like when you're workshop when you're making a dish. Like there's a point where you're like, okay, this we have an idea and I can like plan it. But I'm not going to give it to a person right now because the idea isn't clear enough. They're yeah. not. They're just going to be like, this doesn't work. Period. And it's gonna it's gonna be a punch to your ego. But, but there comes a point where you're like, okay, I can I can now show it to these people that I know are going to have some opinions that are worthwhile about it, and they can be like, oh, well, I think this and I think that, and this is why I enjoy your company and, and you are one oh. of the you. I, I love doing comedy with you, but oh. before before I, I, I start uh, praising you more, um, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. Okay, so the other question I had, yes. we're going to go real quickly to that, is I want to know one inspiring comedian they have, and we're going to keep it short. So you have five minutes to tell me one comedian that inspires you and why. Billy Connolly. Tell me more. Billy Connolly. I was dating this guy. Well, I was engaged to this guy in Australia. When I was living in Australia, I was engaged to this guy. And everything he gave me, I've proceeded to toss it by the wayside. <laughs> not because of um, like resentment. It's just like I've grown It's beyond not there, it. But yeah. he was a fan of Billy Connolly, and I'd never heard of this guy. He's actually one of the comedians that nobody knows about here in Mexico, Billy Connolly, and um, or very few people do. And he had all of his specials on DVD, and we would watch them over and over and over again. And I remember just hearing him, and he would swear a lot. And there's this thing of, oh, you're not supposed to swear too much. He swore so much. And it was glorious to hear him. Going like, oh, fucking fuck. Just like going this thing. And he's got this Glasgow accent. He's like, oh, I fucking arsehole. You know, I would just love him. And I remember this particular joke when I, when I heard him. He, he is a, a 90% anecdote joke. He's not observational as much as he is anecdotal. Like myself, I, 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 I kind of have, have tagged myself as a mostly anecdotal comic. And he tells this anecdote when, when he used to work at the docks down in Glasgow. You know, everyone worked at the docks, you know, and he starts telling this joke. like, And uh, we were all waiting for the whistle to go off so that we could leave. And then he says, but there was another whistle that went off so that the, <laughs> the war cripples would be able to leave the docks before the rush of everyone, because otherwise they'd be dead. And he goes, and the whistle goes, you know, and he does a sound. And then he said, I remember this one evening, I poke my head out, and it's like the village of the damned, just walking out of the docks, like the guy who's missing a foot, trying to go to get ahead of the guy who's on a wheelchair, and the guy on the wheelchair, and he does the, the, the whole physical of the thing, and it's awful. 
And I was crying. I was crying because of the image. The image was so powerful. And he's telling you about the time when he was a welder. So he wasn't like, this was a really, a very real thing. And the way he mixed his observation of his anecdote and told, told it to you as if you were sitting with a drink across from across the table and he would just tell you this yeah. joke like you were his friend you know years and years it was just inspiring and I think yeah Billy Connolly is probably my biggest inspiration quick last thing about him he's got Parkinson's disease now he's retired from comedy and he had to retire and he has a lot of memory problems a lot of mental problems associated with his disease and with his age and so on and uh he used to wear these T-shirts, who were custom, which were custom-made, that had this tail that went back up down to his knees, just from the back. They looked awful, and he used to wear them all the time. And I'm actually uh, talking to a to a tailor. Oh wow! Now about making myself three of those because I want to start wearing them as an homage to Billy Connolly because Billy Connolly is just. A god to me, he was the first stand-up comedian that was like, how do you, how do you become that? Yes. How do you become this master of whatever the fuck this is? So yeah, Billy Connolly, and he tells some of my favorite jokes. I've told you the one about the uh, bomb, the bomb, the suicide bomber instructor, right? I've told, I must have told you. I'm pretty sure. When he goes like, oh yeah, suicide fucking bombers, there's a great idea. I want to see the instructor. Like, all right, lads, I'm gonna, I'm only gonna show this to you once. <laughs> it's so good, and I'm done. Billy Connolly, go. Uh, John Rivers. John Rivers actually brought me, brought me out of of a uh, one month funk of not doing stand up after my worst show ever. Uh, my worst show just being half an hour, people are laughing. Like I shouldn't even be that sad about it, but. But half of people, you know, like, oh, it was bad. Uh, Joan Rivers, like, she... First of all, she, I mean, she was 81 years old and still doing stand-up. A full hour of stand-up. Uh, she she was doing, again, a lot uh, uh, another brave person who, who, you know, when people told said, you shouldn't do that. She's like, oh, what? Should I do this twice as hard? Oh, sure. Um, her energy on stage, the way... Oh, my God. You know, if... If read, you know, like she is the reading master to so many of us. And when 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 I had this funk, because what happened was I went to the show that they called. I had this was going to be like one of my first like people want to see you in this small town somewhere in Michoacan, and I went and I went and it went awful. Like I was supposed to do an hour worth of show, I did half an hour because no one was laughing. I got a heckler. I tried to answer. I got tongue tied answer oh the heckling. Oh my god! Uh, it was just awful. And so I came back from there and I hid in my house and I was like, I'm not going to talk to anyone ever again. And I'm just going to find, you know, like a nice uh, job where I can like. Live I thought in- you said. I thought you were going to say, I'm going to find myself a nice Jewish boy. No, and I'm just going to settle no, down. No, 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 I could, I couldn't, I couldn't marry a nice Jewish boy after doing that to comedy. Right. Uh, no, a nice job in a basement somewhere where I don't have to ever look at any <laughs> other human being ever. And then, uh, like for a while, I, just, I didn't want to deal with anything and nothing comedy related. And then I remembered. Um, there's a Live at the Apollo with Joan Rivers, uh, where she's wearing this huge feather boa. 
And she and I remember that, and I was like, I'm gonna watch it again. So I watched it, and I laughed a lot. And, I'm, and I just went on this Joan Rivers comedy binge for like the whole day. And I like there's this one where she's doing just for laughs Montreal, and she she she's doing like blah 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 blah. She tells a joke, dead silence, and she just goes no, okay. She keeps on going, and I was like. Look at her go! Look at her go! Yeah. And this, in that show, she must have been like seventy years old, and she was like trying to get on a piano and making fun of herself for trying to get on a piano. And it was just amazing to watch her and be like so many, so like she's so because you, you you tell that at times she's just on stage, says something, joke doesn't land, whatever, next thing. Uh, and, I, and it was just so for me just seeing her and and when you saw her. Her interviews, she was she was always such a like like a ray of sunshine. Like even because people would see think Joan Rivers and think, oh, of course, you know, fashion police. She was awful to everyone, but also she was, you know, uh, and you know, there's something we said about self-deprecating humor. You know, Hannah Gatsby said, but she was also very. She was she was never above any of her jokes. Like she was always right. willing to make fun of herself as much as she made fun of. Anyone else? Um, and this uh, again. She, I mean, she died on, on the, uh, uh, having surgery to her face. She, you know, she she was not ready to go. Uh, but there's this part where this interview with Kathy Griffin, and she's talking about one of the last lunches she had with Joan Rivers, and she was talking, and, and you know, she was like, "Oh, talking to her, like you know, all the all the shit I was going through." And and John just like stop her and she's like wait and like don't you realize how lucky we are that we get to do the, what we get to do? Right. I mean like we we every time we go on stage it's it's the, one of the best things that could ever happen to you. And you know just you know hearing this in Kathy's word, but from I was like it's fucking true. Like yeah, you had a bad show, so what? You know just dust yourself off. Go to the next stage. And yeah, you might have an awful show next time too. But I knew that in the end, I, you know, I've had great shows before that and better shows since. And part of it is just this thing where like I can throw a joke and if it just doesn't land, I'm like, no, okay, don't worry. I have another one. Even today, if I'm doing well in a show, if I'm doing well, like I've started like good five minutes and then I tell a joke and it doesn't mind I'm like ah like I've failed like no I I, I must leave you now it, it, I mean you're you're, you're gonna get this confidence because you're good and I was in your place too I was in this place where I had to go laugh 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 yeah. laugh and now I have the balls to go on stage and be like hey I, when I was young I kind of thought about suicide not in a funny way just this is the thing I thought about hey thanks um, I love your suicide. It's not a joke, no. and I'm, I don't want to be insensitive because I just realized. <laughs> like, I love it when you talk about wanting to kill yourself. <laughs> it makes sense in context, people. It's just that he does have this wonderful thing where he he Hannah Gatsby is the thing where yeah. he just like he um, and this is by the way. This is a compliment, um, but he, yeah, like he, he will talk at some point. And when you say about the the, the guy who uh, prayed away the gay, yeah. and you go, I get it, I get it. Why people? And it's so like, oh, I love that bit. I love that bit. It's not funny. You're gonna have it's to wait for the Netflix special, people. Yeah. But anyway, so um, 
I mean, I think when you're starting like this thing, you want laugh, 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 laugh. And you think if they're not laughing, they're not with me. At some point, and you especially because you're a very comedian, you're going to have this point where like, you're going to understand the audience is still with you even though they're not laughing. Yeah. It's a feeling you have. Um, and it's all the practice, 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 practice. But, uh, but like recently, I went on stage um, after a girl, girl guy, very much like one mentioned, where the audience was just dead. 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 And it was not even the first... Like, they called me to a show because it was going to be, like, five new comedians who weren't particularly good. And I went. And the first five... Like, one of them cleared the table. Like, just goodbye. People were leaving. Oh, people walking out. And so when I... It was like... I was going... And the, the comedian before me, he wasn't doing anything for the audience or for himself. Uh, and I just went... Like, I was just down here. I'm like, you know what... I'm going to do... I'm going to go on stage. And the audience is so dispersed and so against the comedians at this point that I may not make it. That this may not be a good show. But... I'm going to do it anyway. And I went on stage. And yeah, I did get some laughs. And I did... It, was, it, was, it wasn't a bad show by, by, by any stretch. Like, and I was the best one in that, in that sad, 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 sad show. But also there's this thing where, like, you you can't just call a comedian for the end and hope for that to make up for five bad comedians. You need to make... Like, at the end, I did tell these people, like, you do need to work on your comedy because you don't have an excuse of, like, oh, I'm new. I've seen people with as much experience as any of those people do not even fantastic, just good shows. Shows that keep the audience Solid. invested. Yeah. And this thing where, like, you know which jokes aren't working. Drop them. I don't care. I don't care that you like them. I don't care that it was the first joke you ever wrote. I'm gonna keep telling it until people are laughing at it. Vegetables. That's not how it works. Not how it works. So yeah. So yeah. So thanks you so much for humoring me. Thank you for joining us. Yes. So uh, you can follow us on social media: Mexicans Pod on Twitter, Mexicans Podcast on Facebook. And also on Patreon in case you want to throw us a dollar or two. Dollar. Yes. Dollar. And where can they find you? They can find me on social media. I am at Mr. Drama, Mr. Written Fully, M-I-S-T-R, Drama, uh, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or just search for Luis Augusto. It should come up. It should come up. Same here with Martin Leon. If you look for me, it should come up. But if not, uh, on Twitter and Instagram... And it's my name with all the letters mixed up. Mint on a real, <laughs> just one E. Yeah, I like it, yeah. So thank You're you so welcome. much for... Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next week. We'll see yeah. you. You'll listen to us You'll next week. You'll listen to us next week. Yeah. You will listen to us and you will like it. I miss the tamale guy. Yeah, where is he? Yeah. I mean, we're recording we're, we're earlier. We're recording early.